Hi, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 7 of My Words, Our Journey. Be careful what you wish for. My name is Monty, I'm your host, and today we'll begin with Chapter 25. The party had not been Will Travis's idea. In fact, he had fought it right up until the last week. Finally, his dad had had a talk with him, and Will had agreed. It was a fight not worth fighting. Pick your battles, his dad had said. If you're going to lose, retreat and live to love another day his dad had said with a smile. He and his mom had been married some 30 years, so his advice could not be taken lightly. Sinji watched as her husband tried to carry all the ice bags in one trip. She knew better than to try to help. Cindy was seven months pregnant, and Will had not left her lift anything more than five pounds in two months, so she watched. She felt bad. She knew this was not what he wanted to be doing on his day off. He had stopped complaining about it about a week ago, and she was thankful. He had a good marriage, and they didn't argue or fight very much. But when they did, it was hard on both of them. Neither one liked to let go. So this had been a blessing, really. It was important to spend this special day with her family and friends, and he must have realized that in the end. When the ice was dropped in the countertop, she gave him a hug and said thank you. Then she reminded him he had about an hour until family and friends would start arriving. 45 minutes later, the first band pulled into the driveway. Will's parents were first shortly followed by her parents. Of course, they all wanted to be there to put the final touches on the day's festivities. Within half an hour of their arrival, the backyard and kitchen were swarming with adults, young people, children, and even a few dogs had made their appearance. Cindy knew her sister would be the last to arrive, and she did not disappoint. Cindy was standing in the kitchen sink when she saw her and Marcus coming up the driveway. He was carrying one of the largest stuffed bears that she had ever seen. It wore a pink and blue hat, so the bear worked either way, Cindy smiled. It was going to be a wonderful day. The killer had watched folks gather from the first van that had pulled up to the beautiful couple that made their late arrival. The two he was most interested in. What a happy day this could be if Marcus had stayed out of the spotlight, had never called out the killer, had never confirmed he wanted to play the game, a game that was quickly approaching the end. When it was over, he planned to head back west. He planned on meeting back up with his new lady friend, and he planned on going home. Did he have a plan on how all that would play out? No. For him, the game would be over once today's round was played, win or lose. The family must have money. The killer watched as a catering truck pulled up and began to unload various carts and trays, and then two full-size beverage stations were rolled in through the side gate. It looked to him as if they could feed a small country with all that was being taken he could see everyone had gathered in the backyard, and if he was correct, heads were slightly bowed and everyone was standing still. They were wealthy and religious, he had gathered. It was a perfect time for him to slip in the front door that stood wide open except for a screen door he was sure would be unlocked. Once inside, he moved through the home, not worried one bit about being discovered. He did not want the negative energy. When he found the baby's room, he was taken back by the thoughtfulness that had been put into everything from the flooring to the window treatments. The room was clearly done by someone with a sense of style and interior design. He did not appreciate things like this much, but he did appreciate this room. He heard cheers and clapping from the back of the house. The party was well underway. After walking around a bit, getting a good feel for the house, he settled into the assumed what was a spare bedroom that had a window that faced the backyard. From his vantage point, he could see the entire thing. He wasn't sure what the game had in store for him or what to expect from him next, 
but he knew, as always, it would present itself in due time. So he locked the bedroom door, so not to be disturbed, pulled a small wooden chair over from the desk, peeked through the blinds at the fun being had by all. After an hour, the group exploded with cheer as the pink balloons floated into the sky. He watched, scanned the crowd, a girl, everyone seemed happy. The grandparents could not stop smiling. The mother was crying, and soon the husband seemed to be looking at his pager, leaning down, talking to his bride. She looked less than thrilled at whatever he had to say. The killer found happiness in that. She seemed to be sad. He watched as the man shook his head, put his hand on his shoulder, and then scurried away. Moments later, he heard the front door close and a loud truck pull away. The husband must have left for some reason. What could possibly tear one away from their own baby party? He wondered, only for a moment. What he saw next interested him more. It appeared Sam had moved in to console her sister, and now both women were walking towards the back door of the home. In that instant, he could see what the game had placed before him, so he quickly, with stealth, went into action. Chapter 26 Cindy could not believe how she had gone from such a high to such an awful low in only a matter of minutes. Will knew how important this day was to her and her family. The time, the money spent, it had all been her family. She was fine with that, but don't leave early, and certainly don't leave early without so much as a thank you to anyone in attendance. She was so upset she was shaking when Sam came over to check on her. It only took her a moment to suggest they go inside to get a quick minute to recompose themselves and then carry on with the party like nothing happened. She was still having a girl. She was still surrounded by people that loved her, and there was plenty of good food to be tried. Will may have left her down, but she was not going to do the same to her guests. Through the back door into the cool kitchen, Cindy already felt a little better. The sun had affected her more than she knew. When they both came up the stairs to the full bathroom, is when they first saw the stranger standing at the top of the stairs. He looked young, maybe 22 or so. Bushy hair, wrinkled clothes, a weird smile. Most importantly, he held a pointed gun towards right at him, right at Cindy's stomach. Come on up, ladies, and please don't make a sound. The last thing I want to do is hurt Cindy's baby. A little girl, right? The women were confused. How was this stranger? How was he up here, and how do you know Cindy's name? After they were directed into the spare room and told to sit on the edge of the bed, the killer locked the door. I know. A lot going on today, right? Congratulations on the news, by the way. A girl. How exciting. Sam noticed the killer talked with no sign of stress or nerves, like he had done this several times before. That made the situation even more frightening. He was rambling about a game. Neither Sam nor Cindy could follow the whole thing. They had picked up along the trip, dying, game not sleeping well, ready to be home. Then he said something so alarming, they both almost fell off the bed. The killer mentioned Marcus by name. That is when Samantha spoke for the first time. I'm sorry, can you repeat what you just said? The killer looked surprised. About what? Oh, you mean about meeting Marcus. Yes, Marcus is the key to all this. The game may never have been played if not for Marcus. His big mouth, muscles, and of course his arrogance. Sam and Cindy still look at each other. What could this person possibly be talking about? The killer could sense now. It would be the time to explain, so he did. What he wanted them to know, from the first contact with the meathead, until this exact moment. Then, as they both wiped tears, he spoke the words that took this situation from bad to downright evil. 
Each of you will put two people out of the backyard that I will kill. Before you say a word, realize I have no control over what happens next. It's the game. I am merely a player. A player good at the game, with no sense of humanity or remorse. If one or both of you refuse to play, I'll be forced to kill six people in the backyard, starting with children, then the three of you. Yes, he counted the unborn child. They could not believe their ears. The news about Marcus had been bad enough. But now this new twist? A twist they could not would be able to recover from. You each have one minute. If you make a sound, or try to alert anyone, I'll start with each of you. Every person in the backyard was known to both of them. They were either family, or they went to school with them, or church together, played a sport, worked, or were in the year together. How could they possibly pick four? More importantly, how could they not? Have only a few seconds left. Who's it going to be? Samantha slowly raised her hand. The killer seemed pleased. He gave one more rule to the game. You can't pick Marcus. Sam was still not sure who she'd pick, but Marcus had been a consideration after all she had heard. As she picked through the blind, thoughts came running from her past. How long had been they'd been up there? Why hadn't anyone come looking for them? Then back to the task at hand. She could see the whole backyard from this room. Marcus taking it up with the neighbors down the street. Her parents looking through the photo album that had been put next to the punch bowl. Then she felt him standing next to her, so she quickly pointed at two old men from their church. Then it was Cindy's turn. She was a mess, but they all knew she'd do anything to protect her child. Cindy looked down through the window, tears running down her cheeks, trying to make an impossible decision. Then out of nowhere, she picked two old men that were standing alone by the grill, their Uncle Stan and Uncle Rich, two religious men that she would have to apologize to one day in heaven. The killer had both women step into the closet, then he took his position, raised the window, and with the same precision as always, he took shots, four of them, each hitting the target. As they did, the crowd erupted into stampeding chaos. Unplanned, but somehow necessary, the shooter took one more shot after finding his intended target and waited until he had the exact shot he wanted. Once that was done, there was no more words, no goodbyes. The killer ran down the stairs and through the front door past some that had found refuge in the house, but none that paid him any attention. He was gone, seconds before the first police officers arrived from the south. He was heading north. The game spared him again, and in his mind, he had won. The prize would be waiting for him back in Oklahoma City. Chapter 27 The scene was like nothing anyone on the local police force had ever seen or been prepared for. How could you prepare for anything like this? It was supposed to be the happiest of days and now it was a crime scene with four confirmed dead and one believed to be paralyzed. Most of the witnesses saw nothing. Even the ones that had been in the house had been so frightened they couldn't tell the authorities anything with certainty. The only two that had been the two women in the closet holding each other tight. Sam had refused to let Cindy leave that closet until she had heard the police upstairs. She did not want to take any chances with the baby. The two wanted to know about the victims, their parents, and the rest of the guests, before they would even consider being looked at by medical. They were both fine physically. It was going to be their mental and spiritual selves that would be tested. Finally, they were told about the deaths and the fact that Marcus had been shot in his lower back and was feared to be paralyzed, but the doctors were still working on him. The women held nothing back as they told their stories. They threw Marcus under the bus, described the assailant the best they could, but honestly, he looked like every other 20-something. 
Finally, they told the horrific way they were headed to determine who would live and who would die. They asked the police if they could keep that fact to themselves, if at all possible. They did not want to have to defend their decisions to the public or the media. The killer had not mentioned or given any clues to where he was heading. The one thing the police felt sure of was that he had no intention of sticking around. Grief counselors had shown up at the house. Groups settled, huddled together in, front, in the front yard, away from the dead bodies as evidence was gathered and the scene was processed. For many of them, the gravity of the day's events would take months for them to fully realize. Others, like Samantha, were hit with it square in the face. What the killer had made her do was unspeakable. But what he had told her was crushing to her soul. She had thought she had found the one, the man she wanted to spend the rest of her life with. Instead, she found out that he was self-centered, an egotistical jerk that with his actions and decision-making had caused numerous murders. The killer was on 81 South, heading out of town. He was still driving the Chevy Cruze, but he wasn't worried about it. It would take the police a while to do their jobs and to check all the security cameras in the area, and even then, the car was not registered to him. It would also be dark before long, and he hopefully would just be cruising down down the highway. Especially since he had taken the time to call in an anonymous tip about a crazy man seemingly trading vehicles, a white car for a black truck, lifted at a gas station across town, headed up the 81 ramp north. The truck? Maybe a Chevy. He wasn't sure. He had told the woman parts of what had transpired the last few days, enough for the police to eventually figure out. But that was a lot to sort out, and it'd take a while. Time he would use to cross the country, even if they put a sketch out of the killer. He felt confident it'd be so generic. It would almost look like any 20-something for hundreds of miles in any direction. If he was caught, it'd be because the game, not because of his mistakes, he thought as he set the cruise control. Marcus woke up in the hospital after the surgery. He was groggy, but the doctor still wanted to talk to him. So, with his parents in the room, they explained to him that while he was lucky to be alive, he couldn't be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Before he could process what he'd been told, the doctors left and came in with the authorities. They had many questions and did not want to wait for those answers. After Marcus heard what they had to say, including finding the burner phone on the corner of the bed at the scene, he knew there was no reason to try to lie about what had taken place. He could only hope that those that mattered would understand. As far as Marcus was concerned, his life was over. Other than his parents, who could tell did not want to be in the same room with him after they heard what the police were accusing him of. No one had called or tried to visit. He had to accept that that was probably his new reality. The news and his rivals would have a field day with all of this, he thought. Then, he felt guilty because he should be thinking about those that had lost their lives and the ones that were affected by the loss. Knowing he had been raised to accept responsibility, he would. He would plead guilty to any charges brought against him. He would give them anything they wanted. He had lost so much, and for what? For what, he was told the killer had just walked down the stairs of the home and casually walked to his car and drove off. The killer had not mentioned to the ladies his fondness for Walmart parking lots or truck stops because he planned to continue to use them. To his surprise, the game had not ended after the party. He could feel it down in his bones. He had not been able to explain it to himself, but he knew he needed to be ready, open to what the game had in store. Maybe a little overtime was in order. He wasn't sure, but he felt confident it had nothing to do with Marcus or any part of the whole mess. That had been a decisive win, he thought.
There were still many unknowns in his future. He must be ready, alert, and open to what the game still had planned. Until then, he'd head west, back to the sweet young lady that had promised she would take his call. The drive seemed longer heading back towards Chris. Maybe that was because he was coming down off the high of the game, he thought. Either way, he just wanted to be out of the car and had a few hours left to go. Fiddling with the radio, he found an NPR. It was the only station that was even close to coming in clear, so he left it there. It wasn't his usual thing, but it was better than static or silence at the moment. He'd been listening to the plight of some war-torn country in some small part of the world when the perky newswoman reminded her audience of the upcoming interview with the fiancé of a young woman brutally killed in Bristol, Virginia. Now that caught his attention. That was something he might want to listen to every word of. It was just 22 minutes from the time he heard a promo, and he did not want to take a chance he would lose reception. So he stopped at the closest gas station, gassed up, grabbed a couple of drinks and snacks, and settled in for a little fun. The interview was a cookie cutter as they come through the first half. The girl was great, loved her family, would have been a great wife and mother, would have made the world a better place, blah, 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 blah. The killer was about to get back on the road when he heard the interviewer ask, Is there anything you'd like to say to the killer? If they're listening? The pause was noticeable. I think the best for everyone, eh, just for me to keep my thoughts to myself. Smart, the killer thought. But there was a pause. Certainly you have thought about what you'd want to say to the killer. You know, your feelings, your loss, something. The interviewer did not want to let go. Again, I think the degenerate has had his ego fed enough, and I'll choose not to play his little game. What? The killer could not believe what he had just heard. Degenerate? He had no right. What gave this clown the idea he had any say in whether he played the game or not? Big mistake, mister. So we're going to stop there for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We only probably have two episodes left. This is going to be a little shorter novel than the last couple, but I hope you're enjoying it. Again, thank you for listening. And as always, have a great day.